Welcome to the Sunday Preaching Podcast of The Point Church, located in Perdido Key, Florida. We believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Virtually from the beginning of Scripture, we see the people of God dealing with hardship and challenge. Of course, there was the fall in the Garden of Eden. As we continue through, man, God called Abraham to leave his home to go to a place that he didn't know. And some of his strife came from some of his family. Okay, He dealt with Lot, bringing him with him, and he was getting him in some trouble. But some of it was brought on by himself. But he remained faithful to the call of God on his life. We move forward a little bit. Moses is called to go to the Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Well, guess what? Moses was obedient to God, but they dealt with some challenges. Every time Moses was obedient to God and went to Pharaoh, Pharaoh made the life harder on the Israelites, but they remained faithful. God delivered the Israelites from Pharaoh's rule, and they wandered in the wilderness, and guess what? Some of them died. Most of them died. Joshua was the only one who made it to the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. As we think about our life circumstances, we think we are always going to see things work out the way that we think that they should because we have been, some of us have been taught a lie. When we look at the Bible and we look at Scripture, not every time does God come through for us on our behalf. And we need to understand that. The Apostle Paul is writing from a jail cell. He is imprisoned, and he doesn't know how things are going to end. He doesn't know which way his situation is going to go. I would remind you of someone else who found themselves in a jail cell for a long time, who dealt with some suffering as a man named Joseph in the Old Testament. His brother sold him into slavery And he found himself in a jail cell for a long time. And he prayed and he thought God forgot about him. (laughs) But God saw it fit to deliver him in the right time to provide for his people. Now, I can tell you this. Joseph did not think that his life was going to go that way. When God revealed to him that his brothers would be bowing down to him, he didn't think he was going to have to suffer along the way. And I would remind you of someone else that is referred to as a suffering servant, which was our Lord Jesus. And if we say that we want to be like Jesus, we have to be prepared for suffering in this life. The title of our sermon today is Joyful Boldness. And we're going to see an attitude that the Apostle Paul has when he thinks things are not going to go according to plan. Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to read the last part of verse 18 because it's in the middle of a sentence. And we're going to pick up in verse 19. He says, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. 
Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better. That is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you and see that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also, what? Suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Warren Wiersbe says that when we take Christ into every circumstance, we'll have joy. We take Christ into every circumstance, we will have joy. Paul was in a situation where he was imprisoned and he did not know how it was going to turn out. But the focus of Philippians is living a life of joy. Even in the midst of not very good circumstances, Paul has joy. He does not have a hope that everything is going to work out in his favor, but he has hope because of what Jesus has done on his behalf. So as we get into the passage today, I want you to contrast what Paul is dealing with in the moment and a lot of the preaching that's in churches today that tells you everything's going to work out the way that you want it to. Because that's not what we see in the Bible. That's not what we see in Scripture because God has something better. God has something better. Paul's going to talk about deliverance early in the passage, but it's not how we think about deliverance. It's something that's much more meaningful. You can be in the center of God's will. You can be in exactly where God wants you to be and experience difficulty and hardship. Thursday morning, I drove to my hometown, drove over to Grand Bay, Alabama, watermelon capital of the world. Okay, if you don't know where Grand Bay is, if you get on I-10, you head towards Mississippi. Right before you get there, there's Grand Bay. Most of you probably never heard the name Grand Bay before, and that's okay. That I grew up at Friendship Baptist Church right over there, was in their student ministry, was surrendered into gospel ministry whenever I was there. When I think of the people at Friendship Baptist Church, they are in my mind like Paul is referring to the Philippians. I'm encouraged to see that they are still faithfully serving God. One thing that makes friendship very unique is that uh, decades ago, uh, the pastor started to have a heart for the people of Guatemala. And over time, they even built a mission house uh, there in Chamaltenango in the El Tahar area of Guatemala. And they've been sending mission teams from all over the country down to this mission house. And it's an incredible thing to know people from all over the country that I've met uh, at that mission house over the years. I've been there about a dozen times or so with teams to serve over the years. And one of the incredible things that happened over time there is the pastor, his oldest daughter, uh, got married and they call, were called to go and serve at this place. 
Uh, so Deidre and Soy took their three girls over the last eight or so years, and they've been serving in Guatemala. And Soy is somebody that, man, everywhere that he goes, he never meets a stranger. He could probably go, I don't know if they have mayors in Chamaltenango, but he probably could have run for mayor and won. Everywhere he goes, every time he was in his pickup truck driving down the road, people would just run out to the road, yell, Soy, Soy, wave, wave their hand at him to go see him. He just loved people, and he loved serving the Lord. A uh, couple weeks ago, I got a call uh, one, early one Sunday morning that Soy had been, uh, that there was a robbery attempt on their home and Soy was shot in the abdomen and he was in the hospital. And uh, the word was, he's in the hospital, he's going to be okay. So I was like, okay, everything's good. Uh, so of course, you know, people are praying for Soy. And then Tuesday night, I think it was, uh, his lungs collapsed and Soy went to be home with the Lord. There's no doubt in my mind that Soy was doing exactly what God had called him to do, serving on the mission field protecting his family in that moment. Um, but Thursday, when I went over to his funeral service, man, I was just reminded of the impact that one person can have for the sake of the gospel. There were hundreds of people there from all over the place. You can't fly to Grand Bay. You got to fly into Mobile, and that's hard enough to do, and you got to get in a car and drive down. But there were people from all over the country there to say, man, this guy had an incredible impact on my life. A couple Wednesday nights ago, I was speaking to our students, and once I sent them to small groups, I pulled up a live stream of Soy's memorial service that was in Guatemala. Every person that was there, Soy had shared the gospel with. Hundreds of people had come to faith in Jesus because of what he and his wife did while they were serving on the mission field. It's a testimony of faithfulness, a man doing exactly what God had called him to do, but in that moment, it was still dangerous. We've got to get away from this lie that everything's going to work out because we believe in Jesus. Jesus suffered. Why would we expect anything else? So with that testimony in mind, I want to ask you to also be praying for the Taylor family. If you're at the women's conference, I think Janie read a statement from, from Soy's wife, Deidre. Can I just tell you how moving it was to be at a funeral service watching a mourning wife say, I forgive the man that shot my husband. And then to hear her say, we're going to go back to go finish the work that God's called us to. She and her daughters are going to go back to Guatemala to continue serving because they believe that God has called them there to share the gospel. They understand the boldness that goes into that, but they're going to be faithful to what God has had, God has called them to do. So verse 19 brings us, something that we need to pay attention to. Paul says, for I know that through your prayers, through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Notice the language of partnership here. Through your prayers, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul is calling us to have a boldness in prayer, a boldness in prayer. They are not just praying for everything to work out the way that Paul wants them to. As he unpacks this, he makes it very clear that he is totally prepared to die for the sake of the gospel, but he is praying that he would have deliverance, that he would not be ashamed, as it says in verse 20. Here's the deal. Prayer is a privilege. 
When we pray, we are communing, we are communicating with the creator of heaven and earth who is in control of all things. Charles Spurgeon says that the goal of prayer is the ear of God. Martin Luther says that the prayer is the sweat of the soul. Remember, as Paul is in prison, there are ministry partnerships. There are people who care about him, who are longing to see him again, and they are praying boldly for his deliverance, for him to continue uh, on the purpose and the mission that God has called for him to do. But notice there's also a role that the Spirit plays through our prayers, through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Our prayers have no power in and of themselves apart from the work of the Spirit. If we are to pray for the right things, we have to be seeking after the Lord. Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. At Soy's funeral service, his father-in-law, and sometimes people use comedy to kind of get out of tough moments, right? And he said, Proverbs says the prayers of the righteous, or the, the life of the righteous is blessed. The one who's not righteous, not blessed. I just thought that was funny. Let's take a deeper look at what they're praying for because Paul uses the word deliverance. Deliverance is something that we need to understand in context. Too often when we hear about deliverance ministries or people praying to be delivered from circumstances, they're praying that God would just drop a boatload of money in their lap and for things to go well or for us to be healed or whatever the case may be. But Paul's deliverance that he is praying for does not have to do with things working out the way that he wants them to. It has nothing to do with his own personal benefit. He is praying, he is asking them to pray for the mission, for the gospel of Jesus Christ to continue. He's praying for the kingdom of God to grow, not just that things would work out the way that he wants them to. He wants to be obedient to the point of death, as we're going to see next week in our passage, even as Jesus was obedient to death on a cross. That is the level of boldness that Paul is praying for, that he would continue to be obedient in the face of anything that could come through to him. But what Paul understands is that through his circumstances, we can go back to the book of Acts, you can start in 16 and kind of read on, he's able to share the gospel with people that he would never have an opportunity to share the gospel with because he was arrested. He was able to plead his case to Roman officials, to uh, Roman soldiers, to people who were very unaware of who Jesus was or were opponents of Jesus. And Paul is able to give a defense for his faith because of suffering. Because of suffering, in spite of suffering, he is able to continue pleading the case for the gospel. So how do we know that he doesn't mean deliverance in the way that could be a selfish desire? Well, he says in verse 20, whether by life or by death, Christ would ultimately be honored in the way that Paul lived his life and in the way that he dies. So as we pray for one another, we pray with boldness. Because Paul's prayer is not that he would be ashamed, but that he would be filled with courage. One of the things that happens when, we, when life just starts to pile up, we can get mad at God. We can get frustrated with God. We can back away from God. But ultimately, we have to know that he's the one who holds us in his hand. He is the one who is in control of all things. Paul's talking about boldness of declaring the gospel, but as we pray for one another, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. Too often, we pray for physical things. That's not a bad thing. It's good for us to pray for any physical ailments that people in the body of Christ may have, but 
we need to also be praying for spiritual things, for boldness of sharing the gospel, that in our moment of trial that we would step up and make a case for what our faith lies in. Not just things that are going, it's, it's good for us to pray for physical things, but we need to not neglect spiritual things. John Calvin said, doubtful prayer is no prayer at all. When we approach the throne of grace, the authority is not in what we are asking for, but in the one of whom we are asking. God can do anything. And when we understand that he is in control, he hears our prayers. We understand that we are not telling God what to do. We don't tell God what to do. We share the desires of our heart with him. And if we are seeking after him, man, there's this incredible moment when that aligns with the heart of God and we see our prayers answered. Again, not to get what we want, but for the sake of the kingdom of God to grow. So here's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. Paul has a boldness and purpose. A boldness and purpose. Okay, verses 21 to 26, we're going to unpack this idea. But Paul understood what his purpose was. If anyone understood what their purpose on this world was, it was Paul. Okay, the links that he goes to, the amount of writing that he gives, he points to the purpose of his life. The only thing shameful for him would be that he would stop declaring the gospel and declaring the truth of Jesus as Lord. Let's continue in verse 21. He says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I am to live in the flesh, and that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. When was the last time you talked to somebody who said, I don't know if it would be better for me to go home or if I should stay here and work through my pain and my suffering for the sake of the gospel? My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith so that you may have an ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul has a maturity about him that we should want to have for ourselves, having a clarity of purpose and understanding of why we are here. Paul understands that his days are numbered and he wants to make the most out of the days that he has. He gives the two potential outcomes, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He recognizes that he is imprisoned and he doesn't know how it's going to end, but he is bound and determined that he's going to bring glory to God with every moment that he has. To stay and toil in his labor would benefit other people around him. He recognizes that his purpose is connected to Christ. It's a bad thing when we lose sight of our purpose. There are times when, just over the years, that I've spent ministering to people who have been advanced in age. Man, they may have been battling a disease like cancer for a long time, and they get to a point where they say, I just don't know what else I can give. That's a dangerous place to be. The Apostle Paul is reminding us that if we have breath in our lungs today and you're a follower of Jesus, that God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. Even in our death, we can bring glory to God by the way that we live, even if we're in our last days. This labor to be with the people is something that Paul is torn with. He wants to be home. 
Guess what? If Paul dies, he's in the presence of God. His suffering is gone. He doesn't have to deal with the Romans coming after him anymore. He is at home. He is experiencing his inheritance that we were singing about just a few minutes ago. But he says, God is not done with me yet. He recognizes that his purpose is not isolated in that moment. On Wednesday nights with our teenagers, very regularly, we have to remind them that, hey, you're not just a Christian when you're at church. We don't compartmentalize our faith. This isn't just a private thing that like we do. We come in on Sunday and we take communion and we sing some songs and we listen to the word and we do our thing and then we just go and do whatever. No, all of life is connected. Every moment we are declaring Christ. I love this mentality that Paul has because he is wanting to fulfill his purpose boldly because of the clarity and focus that he has. I want you to think about the logistics of what Paul's doing right now, okay? He has been preaching the gospel. He was arrested. He was thrown in prison. It would benefit him to hush. It would be, think about this. It would be good for him to be quiet. It's probably going to mean that he gets out of prison and he can kind of go back and quietly do his thing. But no, Paul says, I'm not wasting any time. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I'm going to boldly proclaim the gospel. He understands what his purpose is. Paul understood the reality that we all know one out of every one will ultimately pass away. And he's making the most of the time that he has. I want you to think for just a second about somebody that you know faithfully walk with Jesus for a long time, a long time. Um, last week, a couple weeks ago, I'm not sure time's running together in my mind, I went and preached a funeral for a sweet lady in our church, and I picked up a Bible. Um, I don't know why, I just thought I need to use the King James during this service. I don't know why, I just picked it up. But I realized very quickly that this was a Bible that I've not picked up in a long time, and it belonged to my grandfather. Uh, he was diagnosed with cancer uh, probably in 96, 97, lived five or six years. And, and he traveled around our town and he, he spoke about the hope that he had in Jesus. That didn't, didn't deal with his diagnosis. It dealt with the one who was in charge of his life. And over the last week, I've been flipping through that Bible and just reading some of his notes that he's had. That's a treasure that I have, that I know what, what he was going through in that moment. But man, when he passed away, yes, we grieved. We grieved, but we knew where he was. We knew exactly where he was. Too often, whenever somebody passes away, we are worried about ourselves and our own grief. Look, that is a that is a normal, natural thing for us to grieve the loss of people. But man, it's different whenever somebody has boldly been walking with Jesus. It's different. It's not just a peace of knowing where they are. It's a gratitude from knowing them and the time that we've had with them recognizing that even a relationship that we have had with someone that may have been cut short was a gift from God. Man, what a picture of faithfulness. And when we read these words that Paul is writing, this is a picture of perfect faithfulness, recognizing what his purpose is. When life gets hard, we have to decide where we put our attention and focus. How can God be glorified in the midst of what's going on right now? Where is God in this? Those are hard questions, but those are good questions because God uses all things for his glory. You may have been raised to think that being in the will of God means that there is a perfect protection from any kind of attack against you. But when I read the scriptures, the enemy attacks the ones that are doing things that are bearing eternal fruit. So if you want safety, go sit at home and don't do anything. 
But if you want to live dangerously with purpose, with a boldness and purpose, live on fire for Jesus. Look at verse 22. Paul is allowed, if he is allowed to be released from prison, he has work to do. He talks about the fruitful labor. He is going and he is continually calling people into repentance to call them to believe on the Lord Jesus because everything in his life is worth that. He recognized that living meant continuing in a mission, not sitting around and wasting time. We all have a purpose as being a follower of Jesus, and we cannot lose sight of that purpose. Because I don't, don't know about you, but I know me. If I'm not focused on that, pers- that purpose, I can become selfish. I can start to waste time. I can start to become lazy. But instead, we have a purpose. If we lose purpose, we don't enjoy life. That's just the reality. You can only go on vacation for so long. (laughs) Paul is explaining to us that through his life, just like all of us who are in Christ, we should be striving to produce good fruit. Good fruit meaning that our lives are worthy of the gospel, that we're about to see that phrase in just a minute, but also that we're seeing people come to faith in Jesus, preaching about what God, what Jesus has done on our behalf. So Paul says a, a word here that's interesting. He says, to depart, to be with Christ is far better. It's important for us to understand that this is not an escapist language. Paul is not saying, man, things are hard right now. I'm ready to go. He's not saying that. He's saying his desire is to depart and be with Christ because he recognizes the inheritance that is waiting for him on the other side of eternity. Because here's the deal. There's this incredible thing. Let's, this is verse 23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. What that word means, it brings up three images in the first century. So out of the Greek language, these are some other common ways uh, that this word depart would be used. First would be by soldiers to, when it was time to move on to a different location, uh, they would use this word to depart, to pack up the tent and move on to the next place of business, right? The next place that they're going to go and fight, the next place that requires their attention. If a ship was in port and it was time to go, they would depart, load up, and move on to the next port so there would be more work to do. And the second picture was a political term of setting a prisoner free. We need to be reminded that this world is not our home if you are in Christ. We are citizens of heaven, and when it is time to pack up the tent and move on, we are being set free from all of the suffering that we experience in this life. That's what Paul is speaking of. The final picture of this word is used by farmers. When oxen would be out in the field toiling the fields. And at the end of the day, the farmer would unyoke the oxen and all of that weight is off of their shoulders. Sounds kind of like Jesus saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the attitude that Paul brings towards processing his own humanity. And what an incredible notion that he would recognize that he has a purpose here. And even in his death, he wants to bring glory to Christ. But notice the pivot of attention that he takes in verse 24, where he starts to talk about how it is necessary for him to remain on your account with the Philippian church. He's saying, I still have encouragement for you. There is still work for us to do. There are still people that need to hear the gospel. He is coming to see progress and joy in the faith. 
He wants to see them move towards spiritual maturity. Progress is a good thing. When you have a project and you see progress, it's easy to keep going. When you have a mission and you're not seeing progress, you want to quit, right? Let's be honest. But he's wanting to see them continue to progress in their Christianity to go and to continue sharing the gospel, to continue fighting the good fight. You can look around uh, those of you who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, you can look back to times where you've come to faith in Christ and you've experienced a crisis of faith that just messed you up. <laughs> and you worked through that. And now if something like that were to happen again, you just have assurance because you have worked through that. You understand that God is still good. There's progress to be made over the journey following Jesus. But it's important as Paul says in verse 26, that there's an ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because as we mentor and raise up people in the ways of the Lord, it's really easy for us to say, man, look what I did. We don't give spiritual growth. God does. Yes, we can find joy by seeing someone coming to maturity in their faith. I work with teenagers, man. I'm like celebrating whenever some of them reach some, some spiritual milestones, okay? Some parents in the room, maybe that you can agree with me. Man, it's exciting to see people come to faith in Christ. It's exciting to see people begin to take their faith seriously, but we've got to be careful that we're not patting ourselves on the back because Paul here says that the purpose is that we glory in Christ Jesus. He says we glory that I am able to come to you again, pointing to a future time. Paul had joy because he loved others, he prayed for others, he encouraged others, and he sought to bring joy in others. So let me kind of start to land the plane a little bit here by saying that Paul gives us a charge to have boldness in steadfast living. To have boldness in steadfast living because he is writing to a church that is dealing with opponents of the gospel. He is also dealing with opponents of the gospel. That's why he's in prison. And he's saying there's going to be some times where the road's going to get hard. And we have got to come together and be unified in those moments around what matters. He says this, verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I don't know if you're writing your Bible or not, but I'd underline that. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now that I still have. Notice the command that Paul gives them. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. When he summarizes the way that they should live, he doesn't quote from the law. He doesn't give them a big list of do this and don't do that. He says, live worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus. The choices that we make, the amount of time that we spend doing things should reflect the value that we place on the cross of Jesus. To live worthy 
of that sacrifice. Of course, none of us are worthy of what Jesus has done for us. That is a gift of grace, but we live being changed by what he has done on our behalf. To stand firm in unity together for the sake of what God has done on our behalf. It's important for us to be reminded that we have an eternal home. This is temporary. If this is as good as it gets, that's not very good. (laughs) But we have an eternal home in the presence of God. And if you have believed in Jesus and you have repented of your sin, you take part in that inheritance. If you have not done that before and you're hearing about the gospel today, I want you to know that Jesus loved you so much that he gave his life for you so that you could be set free from your sin and live in eternity in the presence of God. So why does Paul say to stand firm? There will be opponents to stand firm. We don't have to look very far to find opponents of truth, to find opponents of the Scripture. It's tempting at times for anything to happen in the world and for there to be a nuanced take. If I hear the word nuanced one more time from Christian talking heads, I'm going to go find something else to do, I guess. Probably not, because I'll hear it before I get home. But Anytime something happens, things are, well, you know, we've got to think about something from somebody else's point of view. And that, like, when God has spoken, that's it. (laughs) We don't just sit around and negotiate, well, what about this? What about that? Maybe we can make an exception over here. Yes, we can be loving. You can lovingly say, hey, this is what God has said. When Jesus said, go and sin no more, that was a very loving thing that he did. But he said, go and sin no more. For Paul, he was speaking of maybe some physical enemies who would come in and persecute the church, but we have already discussed even last week in our sermon that when the church is persecuted, the church grows because we understand that there is a theology to suffering. Some of you have been through years and maybe even decades of suffering in your body from a sickness, and you are starting to recognize that there is a theology to suffering. The more hurdles that you go through and the more uh, suffering that we experience in life, the more we can identify with the suffering servant of Jesus Christ. As followers of Christ, we do not run away when things get bad. That's when we run to the throne of grace. We don't neglect our Lord. We draw nearer to him. But when things go on in the world, we do not compromise. We do not give in to pressure. We do not back down from the truth. We have to be united together to lessen evil in our world. So you can listen to this language that Paul uses and see the contrast between standing firm and being frightened. He says to stand firm, and he says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. We have to recognize that the truth of God is bold, and if the truth of God that we are claiming is bold, that means we also have to be bold. The way that the church stands firm is not agreeing on every little detail about the property or the strategy or whatever the case may be. We stand unified through the power of the Holy Spirit because of the truth of Scripture and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Here's something that I've learned. You can have the best strategy. You can have the best people. You can have the best ideas. You can have the best funding. You can have the best facilities, and you can plan God right out of the church. We are doing church better than we've ever done it before, and if we're not careful, we can rely on ourselves, and we can tell God we don't have time for it. We've got to slow down and recognize that God is calling us to live in a steadfast boldness. There's not room for divisiveness in the body of Christ. 
We have to fight against that. Pastor Tim used to say we mine for conflict so that we are standing on the truth of the Scripture. We have to live in unity for the cause of faith in Christ. I want to circle back to something that I opened with because I think that it's really, really messed up. And it's, frankly, lies that are told when people say, if you just give your life to Jesus, everything's going to work out for you. That there's no pain and no suffering. Paul's speaking about suffering right here. Jesus Christ suffered. We've looked at biblical examples of suffering that we've seen. The prayer of Job rings out in my mind, though he slay me, I will praise his name. The Christian life is difficult. It comes at a cost, but we were bought with a cost of the life of our Lord Jesus. The reason that I say it's so messed up is there's really two pictures that we use as a church. One of them we did today in communion. When we observe communion, what are we recognizing? the suffering that Jesus took in his body, the pain that he experienced on the cross, surrendering his life to God, being raised from the dead. We focus on the crucifixion, the suffering that Jesus went through. The other ordinance, if you will, that we observe is baptism. Is baptism. The reason that we baptize by immersion is it is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Someone stands as being in the flesh. They are lowered to as a picture of dying to themselves, of Jesus going into the grave and being raised to walk in a newness of life. In that moment, it is a physical picture. It is a symbol of dying to yourself. So how on earth have we taken this concept of dying and turned that into, God's just going to give you whatever you want? No, that's not what we see in the Scripture but it is a higher calling to something that is greater than anything that you could imagine for yourself. It is a call to suffer, as Paul says, to suffer for his sake. We don't just follow the example of Paul. We follow the example of Jesus, who is obedient to death, even death on a cross. Look at verse number 28. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation that is from God. Whoever the opponents were at this point, they were not to intimidate the church. Whoever our opponents are now, it is not to intimidate us. It's for us to be reminded that there is a coming judgment, that all of us will give an account for what we do in this life. And if we are in Christ, we will enter into an inheritance. But for the non-believer, that is divisive because that leads to an eternity apart from God in a place called hell. The church can be encouraged as it stands against opponents of the gospel in unity. Let's be reminded this morning that we're not alone in this walk with with Jesus. You can look around the room and you can see brothers and sisters who are going through some difficult moments of life, but they're continuing by the way that we pray for one another, by the way that we serve one another. But we're not alone. There are brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world that are dealing with extreme circumstances and difficult moments of persecution, some even giving their lives. The enemy wants you to think that you're alone in the battle. He wants you to think that you're alone and that you're isolated and that there is no hope. I'm here to remind you that there is always hope in what Jesus has done on our behalf. So let's be unified 
for the cause of Christ. Paul's reminding the Philippians that even hundreds of miles away in a, in a prison cell that he is still toiling with them. He is still going through the same fight. He says, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and that I still have. Paul recognized that when each day was gone, there was a price that he paid for it. That at the end of each day, the only thing that he couldn't get back was time. So let's not waste it. Let's not waste it. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Let's live for Christ every single day by praying in boldness, by fulfilling our purpose in boldness, and by living steadfastly in boldness. Let's not give up. Let's run the race well. Can we stand together?